and welcome back to Good Mic Hunting on We Bought a Mic, mm. a pop culture podcast, a pop culture radio broadcast, really, oh. if we're being mm-hmm. honest here. Yeah, this is the, the podcasting of- was not invented. Well, you know, we're kind of just keeping the energy alive. We do have a live stream going right now, which is basically radio. We are radio right mm-hmm. now. Broadcasting. We're a dead medium. Vibing. This movie opens with a close-up of a mic, guys. It does. What a sight to see. Who do you think bought that? But it wasn't. It wasn't the. Uh, it was probably the American taxpayer. To yeah. be honest with you, that's, it was, that's exactly right. <laughs> AKA we 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 bought a we mic. bought that mic. <laughs> Welcome to the show. My name's Ernest. My name. <laughs> I don't have anything ready. I'm DJ Hunter. Nice this jockey. Yeah. Good morning, Vietnam. I'm Drew. <laughs> it's hot, real hot, damn hot. That's Al Pacino. <laughs> She's got a great mic. <laughs> are you the? Uh, you're not. You're not Bruno Kirby, are you? No, that, I like that guy though. I was just trying to do the worst thing I could do. <laughs> you're, you're the guy who's in the other booth. Who like Robin throws it to? Dan and the man. Like, yeah, yeah, he's like, I'm hey, Dan the man. Everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm. Who's literally the whoever the guy is who just reads from NPR whenever he comes yeah. in. She's like, and in other news, there's a traffic jam up on I four. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. It's four thirty seven. That's like that's us. I know. It's like <laughs> we wish we wish we were Robin. Yeah, but we we all know we're Dan yeah. the man. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan the Man gets he gets livelier as the as the movie goes. Yeah, on. maybe that's us. He, at least he like likes, that's us in like year five. He likes Robin at the very least. Yeah, he vibes, and so do we. So we love the him. analogy stands. So we're talking Good Morning Vietnam today on the second episode of our new career arc series on the films of Mr. Robin Williams. Uh, no guest today, which is a first for uh, our series. Yeah, we had a guest for every single episode of um, Cage. You, you freaks who guessed on our pod got a little too esoteric this time, and so now we got to do one of the most seminal Williams works with just us three. 1987, directed by Barry Levinson, mm-hmm. who is the man. Yeah, he love Barry Levinson wins an Academy Award a year later. For Rain Man. Yeah, literally a year after this movie. Rain Man rules. Some people say that uh, he should have won an Academy Award for this movie instead of Rain Man. We'll talk about that. Kind of disagree with that take a little bit. Um, But yeah, no, Barry is the best. He's so good. I love Barry Levinson. Underrated in film history. The natural yep. sphere toys, which we also plan on covering. Dude, toys is... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's just one of those directors that didn't always pick a good project. So he doesn't, you know, he's not prestigious necessarily. Oh my God. He also did a third Robin Williams movie, Man of the Year. Yeah, he did. That's, look, we're talking Man of the Year. Whether you guys want to or not, <laughs> I'll do a solo pod on Man of the Year because I just want to know that, like, what would happen if a guy ran for president as a joke and won? Wow. Incredible. Could never imagine. Um, he also did a movie called Bandits with Bruce Willis. Looks kind of interesting. Yeah, he did. He's done a bunch of really good sleepers, which is good. Wag the you dog. Know, wag the dog. Oh my yeah. god! There, he did this movie called Envy with Jack Black, Ben Stiller, Rachel Weisz, Christopher Walken, and Amy Poehler. 
guys, what is this movie? 2004? We're, we're really like beating around the oh i was just looking at that movie actually i sent i sent a screenshot of that the cover of that to friend of the pod colin because he knows every movie so i was like what is this because the cover of it is jack black uh embracing a nerdy looking ben stiller blonde stiller (laughs) anyway we have to we have to we have to move along but that font is like shrek font exactly it's yeah it's it's like a studio comedy from 04 with jack black and ben stiller it's also on hbo max and it's directed by barry levin it has an eight percent on rotten tomatoes so i'm i'm in on it i'm ready to see i'll i'll watch it i'll check it out their names are tim dingman and nick vanderpark that's all that's all (laughs) good cast i mean even outside of those Two and Rachel Vice, Christopher Walken, Amy Poehler. Um, so, um, this you, movie. Those um, people are not in this movie. Guys, I want to start here because I want to talk about how this was the fourth highest grossing movie of 1987. Good morning, Vietnam. What, what a time <laughs> to have been alive in the world. Robin Fever must have been sweeping well, the nation. It's also, and I mean, it's also just a different time because this does have things going for it box office wise that other movies that succeeded didn't back then. Like it is a war movie. It's a Vietnam movie. Yeah, very, man. very profitable area. Um, even though it's not necessarily a pro Vietnam movie, um, the marketing I'm sure doesn't reflect that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Robin. Yeah. Robin everyone knows robin but he's not necessarily like a movie star at this point would you say no popeye wasn't huge no popeye was popeye didn't work mork and mindy mork and was mindy pretty is, huge yeah mork and mindy was yeah and he's like he is he does have notoriety just from being a comic um, well let's let's look at at what he did in between uh popeye yeah, that's, and that, there's a lot of time between the two yeah, because that we're talking early '80s versus late '80s. Because Popeye was eighty, eighty-one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So he does. Um, let's see. I'm pulling it up. So, so there's there's one. The big world thing. according to Garp is yeah, the next one that's, after Popeye. That's the big thing. Of there's a movie that we skipped, and here it's the world according to Garp, which some people. More so than even Popeye, think like, oh, this is his introduction to most of the world since Popeye was. Again, like we talked about in the last episode, not like a flop, but wasn't a huge, know, not a huge massive hit. hit. World yeah. According to Garp was just like, oh, that like funny comedian that I've heard about before and I've seen on late night talk shows. Like he's in the movies. Now. He's in the movies. Yeah, didn't do well necessarily at the box office. Then something called The Survivors. Okay. Um. Yeah. Don't don't see anything of note there. Then Moscow, Moscow on the Hudson. Uh, the best of times, Club Paradise, and Seize the Day. So he he works. Harold uh, Harold Ramis directs uh, Club Paradise. But these are not these are not movies that stood the test of time in the way that Good Morning Vietnam did. This movie is a big deal for him. Really, one of the big, probably like the thing, the biggest thing of notoriety that he did that people paid attention to, the masses paid attention to, was in 1983 he did an HBO special which i sent to you guys it's on youtube it's called an evening with robin williams which if you watch that special it's unlike anything that you will ever see today but also like it's clear that barry levinson saw this special and was like i want this guy i want this character 
to be in this movie. Yeah. And that's literally, it's exactly what he's doing. All the crowd work, flipping back before, back and forth between all these like manic different characters. That's what Fully he's doing. Improvisational in this, sequences. Yes, that's exactly what he's doing for an hour and a half in this special. And he just plucked that out and put it into a film. Yeah. He, um, the, the reason this is such an ineffective springboard for Robin, who, as you just you just listed the, you know, the credits beforehand, he was kind of floundering um, while trying to find his. End. Yeah, like while getting a lot of work, none of it was sticking necessarily. But in this movie, it he, sticks. He will. It, it was a very successful movie in which Robin Williams, for the most part, simply is just being Robin Williams. Yeah. Um, interesting because this is based on a real guy. Yeah, but but uh, this guy not, was not this person. No, it was this is because it's it's the semi true story of a a funny and sort of you know like like boundary pushing radio host who hosted radio in South Vietnam during the Vietnam War um, for you know, assumingly the American military. So he's under their watch and about you know the friction that he faced. Uh, while doing that uh but like you said before we potted hunter like the he is not basing his performance off of this man mm. um he because no matter how funny and like important that man may have been in his comedy during the vietnam war whatever the fuck he did um a like you said he is that man is like a a very conservative man yeah b um robin williams is funnier than that guy I don't so, even think of that. I don't even think that guy was that funny to begin. No, with. he probably no, he, was just like funny. He was more of like an edgy kind of. Yeah, guy. he was like funny, he was, edgy, and I'm sure that it was it was like a big deal that he insisted on playing rock and yeah. roll on. All on he the did airwaves. was just not speak in a monotone. Yeah, voice. <laughs> which and was everybody was like revolutionary. Yeah, but the there's time. but there like there you know Barry Levinson correctly identified that there's no reason to pursue actually portraying his personality when you have probably one of the you know one of the most talented off the cuff comedians ever apparently levinson like didn't allow them to yeah. meet each he didn't other. allow them because he was worried that robin williams would un almost like unconsciously Imitate. do some kind of an impression yeah, of yeah. this guy and just as an actor like you know that's what you feel you're supposed to do is like okay let me yeah i'm I'll doing a biopic my, right now yeah. i need to pay respect um, to but yeah no you're all right that like Thank God we didn't get that too, because Adrian uh, Cronauer was like he calls himself like a staunch card carrying Republican who campaigned for um, who was it? He uh, took an active role in Bob Dole's 1996 <laughs> presidential campaign and George W. Bush's tw 2004 campaign. Yeah, congrats um, on that. So, guess what? Glad that we didn't get that because then we're just getting like fucking Green Book, but with <laughs> Robin Williams. So thank God we didn't get yeah, that. Yeah. So. So right off the bat, I'll say I love this movie. I think this is, for what it is, yeah, pretty close to perfect. I know there are some things that are very dated, but very, but for what no. it's trying to do, there are some things that like we can get into that I would tweak to kind of get it to that point where it's like flawless. But I love the hell out of this movie, and one of the biggest takeaways for me is the fact that it's like it's set. It's it's about the war, but the stakes of the movie aren't tied to the war. No, and man. it's not about combat. So mm. even though it features like uh, soldiers and it's set like in the actual 
you know, it's in Vietnam. The stakes of the movie are like, A, this guy uh, kind of wants, there's like a subplot where he just like wants to get laid. So like, that's like one of the stakes of the movie is like, will he get the girl? Will he be able to have sex with a Vietnamese woman? (laughs) And second of all, it's like, he just wants to do this radio show and he wants to do it the way that he thinks he should be able to do it, which is being an entertainer Mm -hmm. and the people in charge that don't want him to do it. And that's it. That's kind of the story right there. Mm. There's no life and death stakes here. You know, there's no like going into the depths of the jungle and being hunted by the fucking guerrilla warfare of Vietnam's conflict. You know, it, um, yeah, this movie this movie rules really hard, and it it is really fascinating that Levinson soon after directed Rain Man because they have a lot in common. Weirdly, because both movies thrive the most when Barry Levinson is letting the camera just kind of sit on these very talented people. Yes, in Rain Man, it's just Hoffman and Cruz going back and forth. There are a lot of takes in Rain Man that are two plus minutes of just that. Because that is enough. Yeah. And and in this movie, he understands all that, character, no plot. Just letting Robin Williams oftentimes not even doing crowd work, not even talking to anyone, just letting him fully alone come up with a program yeah. is is <laughs> more than thing. enough. It's yeah. It's best. wildly entertaining. Um, you get a lot of real reaction shots of people just truly entertained by him. Um, because he is going off the cuff for a large chunk of this movie. It's just Robin just being entertaining. So I was kind of, I'm kind of surprised a little bit by this, but I think that I'm the most negative on this movie. I'm not going to say that I dislike this movie or anything like that, but it's like, I don't know. Whenever I was watching this movie, maybe it's because I've been watching a shit ton of Robin Williams, like his own specials and stuff that he's been doing. But like, this isn't really a movie. <laughs> it's kind of just like, I love everything that Robin Williams is doing. And Barry Levinson knows he's, he's fucking great. He's a genius. He knows how to make things look good. But I think the story is like kind of nothing to this movie. Um, that's why I like it. I mean, yeah. in, in, in a way, yes, I think that that's why the, the parts of this movie that shine are what you guys are talking about. It is when it's just Robin being Robin. Like this is, a Robin Williams vehicle. And I don't even think it was intended to be that when it was being made, but like, this is just wholly the reason why this works is because it is a Robin Williams vehicle. Whenever there's any kind of plot, this movie, I just don't care. The third act of this movie, um, we watched it together. It did like kind of nothing for me. It, it did pretty much. There's a whole like subplot with, Rob spoilers for good morning Vietnam, but there's a subplot of a friend of his being involved in the VC and everything else like that. Yeah. And I just don't care about any of that. I'm like, can we get back to him? Just improvising? You're totally right. That's one of the things that I had in mind when I was saying that, like the, some things we could tweak to get it closer to perfect in my eyes. It's just to make it just Robin Williams vamping. No, it's just no. like just him. I'm thinking more <laughs> comedy. In, I'm thinking more in the lines of let's set up the relationship with the friend a little bit more. Let's spend a little bit more time at the well, beginning. So there is that, but give that because would you, would you want to sacrifice any of the Robin Williams stuff though? Of him I kind of would. I kind of would. Yeah. Because, <sighs> because what I love about those sequences are what Drew just said about when the camera just sits and Robin's mm-hmm. just going off. But there's also like multiple montages 
of him doing the radio show. And it's like, we could just have the one montage. I mean, same with Rain Man, man. There are a few uh, redundant scenes in Rain Man where it's like, there, I said this when I talked about it like years ago, where it's like, okay, I already learned how smart he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like 15 minutes ago, like, we saw this exact same. Hoffman is incredible at being like, yeah, but it's kind just, of on it's the just, spectrum. And Tom Cruise is really incredible about being an asshole. I know. Yeah. So it's just like <laughs> flat entertaining, even if like the point of the scene is the exact same as the point of yeah. the last scene, you know? It's kind of breaks screenwriting one Yeah. On one, exactly. But, and, um, but you're, you're, you're right though that I guess. I could have used a little more, but also I was okay with what we had because as far as war movies go, this is like immediately jumps to the very top of my list ever because war movies tend to be so aggressively plot heavy. Dude, fucking, war um, movies are about the war. Wind talkers. Yeah. Literally was on the bottom of all of our, that movie sucks. And yeah, it's because it was, movie. it was just all fucking plot and the plot sucked. It did because those characters were nothing. And this is just all characters and fuck plot. And the characters are better than the characters in Wind Talkers. And this movie handles the war so well because there are these moments where you take the time to show this community. And obviously, you're not diving into a ton of different subplots, but you're getting just enough like surface level ambiance. There, there's the one sequence in particular towards the end that is gorgeous set to Armstrong's uh, What a Wonderful World. Yeah. Where you go from quiet living on on both the uh, military side and the native side, and then the destruction just infiltrates the quiet, explosions, fire, death, bullets, blood. And it's all set to this song, and it juxtaposes the quiet with the war without changing from one song to another it's all the same kind of vibe and you just get this beautiful portrait of what it must have been like to you know experience the 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 laughs and the fun and the smiles of this radio show while you're like thinking in the back of your head i might die or kill somebody yeah today. it also like like you said, there, Hunter, there's a ton of stuff that we'll talk about that didn't age well at all. Uh, a ton of stuff. An absolute ton. At Like, in the context of the 1980s, though, this is a progressive movie because this movie is not pro-Vietnam War at all. And that alone is enough to make it a, a progressive movie. Yeah, and this is pre-fall of the Berlin Wall. Like, this is 87. So it's like towards the end. Yeah, it's it's Cold at War. the point where, I mean, we are, we're in like a post-apocalypse now world. Like, people are starting to try and make, this is now, this is, what, eight years after Apocalypse yeah. Now? So at this point, like, this isn't revolutionary in it being anti-Vietnam war, but it is, it does do a pretty good job of writing the fine line. I mentioned it whenever we were watching whenever I was watching this movie, but like this movie is in the dad hall of fame. And part of being in the dad hall of fame is that even if you are making a stance, you make it subtle enough that like stupid dads who either aren't paying attention or yeah. like aren't observant, don't realize that you're making a stance. Of course. Yeah. Like yeah. I have seen this movie so many times just with my dad or my dad has had on the background. And like, I didn't remember much of it because most of the time I was a kid. Um, but 
I don't think that he ever thought of this movie as being an anti-Vietnam War movie no. because it's never overabundant no. in well, its stance. Well, the reason... It's more of just like he likes to watch it because he's like Robin Williams is yeah. funny man and I like the backdrop the, of um, war. The context I'm talking about isn't just like, oh, it was just a little bit past the war so it's progressive. It's not that. It's because this was like in the prime of Reagan's America that this came out. Mm. This this is America was wildly conservative when this movie came out, like extremely uh, around the time that this movie came out. Reagan's approval rating was something like 80 percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it was it was like record numbers approving of an extremely conservative leader. Fuck that guy. Um, so in that context, this is just like this. This does do more than it needed to. Um, and while also like not being about that, it, it's it's about him yeah it's about robin so what we were mentioning earlier about like you know how it's based on this real guy and all of that basically what happened is the guy came home from his time abroad in the service and he decided that he wanted to um option his life story to be a television series um because i think mash was still on the Mm -hmm. air So he wanted to like kind of bank off of the success of MASH and he got a lot of traction towards producing a, you know, MASH-esque take on his on his time in Vietnam as a DJ. Um, And it kind of never happened. uh, And it was a little bit, you know, in development hell. Um, But then Robin Williams got a look of it and according to this uh wikipedia entry that's pretty much what made it happen is that robin williams like he saw it and he was like i'm gonna make this happen and then barry levinson got involved and then the screenwriter um mitch markowitz took a pass at it and you know, by the time all these people jumped on the project, it deviated heavily yeah. from the original treatment. Well, because yeah. this movie, it, like plot-wise, it has the vibe of um, an Apatow movie, yeah. where like, like it it feels as though this script wasn't really even a script; it was more of an outline right. of what needs to happen. Yeah. It- that's exactly what I was going to say. It was like the script, I think, isn't very because the actual like the plot beats of this movie. I don't care about the plot beats of this movie are nothing to me. It is those character moments. It's the moments where Barry Levinson has the like wits about him. And this is pretty earlier on in his career to just say like, I'm not going to over direct this. I'm not going to like try and give too many notes. I'm just going to let these people act. And that's why people like working with Barry. It's and just I, he just lets actors. Act. I think that's what makes this movie so damn good. Like I love the sort of, simplicity that this story takes and the 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 slow pace of it that is you know you don't feel the slowness because fucking robin williams is at the center of it just doing and his there's thing. nothing slow about he's robin williams quite, performance he's quite fast yeah <laughs> but it's like speedy if you will <clears throat> there's nothing happening like he's just doing his show and I, then they tell him not to do it and he stops doing it and then he goes home i do want to ask you guys this because robin has like been very like vocal or he was very vocal of course um but he said he never 
ever did cocaine on stage whenever he was uh, doing stand-up or anything like that because it gave him way too much anxiety. He did it one time. It got him way too stressed out, and he never did it. But he just has that energy all the time. So do we think he was also like clean while he was acting? It was just yes. off of the he, set? He, no, he, I had a, he had a huge coke problem um, in the early days of his career. Right. But he kicked it. He was able to kick it. But he also struggled with alcoholism. Yeah, well, that's more of just like... Like, do you think that because I mean, that's why I asked this question is because this is like right in the times when he is still struggling with like coke use and stuff like that. But he wasn't doing it while he was working. So do we think like he was just going home and just doing rails or what? Because his energy is I could see it. I wish that I had this energy just in like my daily life, like whenever I'm just working cases and shit like that. No, I could I I could totally see him not. Like I could see him being sober while recording. I don't. I don't know why he would lie about that. According to Wikipedia, by the time he was in his movie career, he had kicked the addiction. Yeah, it all. I, yeah. I totally believe that because he is um, someone who can conjure that for nothing. Yeah. He can conjure. Um, you know, he can make a room full of people laugh out of absolute thin air with no material, which is a freak talent. Like, it's like not normal <laughs> to be able to do that. And this movie utilizes that, um, with very different types of groups of people. He, he, and they genuinely make Robin make them laugh, not make the script make them laugh. There are a lot of scenes that just revolve around Robin figuring out a room. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's literally I will talk about whenever we talk about the best scenes of the movie, but it's just a scene whenever he's just with a bunch of privates that are about to go die. Like yeah. they're literally going to go die in the war. It's the best scene. In and the it's movie. just him just like doing crowd work for just like seven minutes. It goes on that yeah. scene for so long. And it's just like, it all, well, yeah, they probably were just like, well, we can't cut any of this. This is all good. No, like, exactly. And it, it and it's you know, it speaks toward the magic of that character and why it's worth making a movie about him because in real life, he may have not been Robin Williams, but if that guy were that magnetic, then you would make a movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, we're going to get to this in other movies we cover, but there are so many instances of him just absolutely going off on set. Yeah. And like, they just keep it in the movie. Like I'm jumping multiple episodes ahead here, but there's famously a scene in Goodwill Hunting where the camera yeah. is shaking yeah. because he's making the camera operator laugh so hard and they kept it in the movie. Yeah. And that well, so, so they're like, we can't recapture this. <laughs> we have to keep it. As and that, well, that type of scene, like later on in his career, like that's not even reliant upon just like crazy speed of delivery, which it was early. Like in this movie, there's a lot. If you were to slow down and like read the jokes that he says in this movie, they're not like, funny mm-hmm. a lot of them are topical things they're to well, that time yeah they're, yeah they're very topical and they're also very like they're they're just sort of like base level read jokes like jokes that like if you were around someone who is funny they would make you laugh but like if you were watching a show that were delivering them at a normal pace then it'd be like yeah you know that's like a pretty like, <laughs> pretty yeah pretty uh basic stereotype joke there you know yeah, yeah. um but his magic was in the fact that he could do that a like he does in this movie a lot. He's, he's doing a radio show that is completely solo. He has no one to play off of. And he's just doing that going like off. he is, he's doing characters. He is, he is the whole deal. And then B he's capable of playing off of anyone on earth. 
He's capable of figuring out what is going to make this particular small room laugh, which is, you know, we're going to get into recasting later. I don't think there's any way to recast this without making it a comedian because so many scenes rely upon this person being talented at figuring out a room, like a specific room. Well, in that case, I don't think that it was that they needed a comedian to fit what they wanted the movie to be. I think what happened here is that Robin Williams came across this project and he got a group of producers together to make it happen. And it revolved around him. No, exactly. He was like, yeah, what if I, you know, what if this, you know, this comedian story were just the story of like me as a comedian being put in this spot. Yeah. The character we're seeing in this movie is not, uh, Adrian Cronauer. Yeah. It's yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just 100% Robin. Williams. Robin. <laughs> so I was going to say this earlier, but I just want to talk about this with you guys. I don't know if you guys saw this while researching this movie, but there is a scrapped sequel to this movie. What? So, okay. I'm going to blow your guys' <laughs> mind right now. What? So in 1992, Mark Frost, the writer of Twin Peaks, oh, God. wrote a sequel to Good Morning to Good Morning Vietnam called Good Morning Chicago. That was about it was going to have Robin Williams reprising his role as Cronauer as a journalist at the 1968 Democratic National Convention, wow. and it got scrapped because of disagreements between uh, Williams, Levinson, and Disney over the film's direction because they wanted to like make it really political and Disney would not let them because this is a touchstone yeah, when, when a Vista film. Yeah, and, and that point, you have to think like this is 1987. Disney is not what we know it is. Know it as now. It, it Disney was kind of in a dark age. This is before the Little Mermaid. This is before the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. This is right on the cusp of whenever all of that happened. So Disney was just Kind of, you know, Touchstone was the biggest yeah. thing that Disney had. They at were this like, time. man, Popeye, we need that. We need Popeye right now. We need in that 1990, Popeye. Nineteen ninety two, we have Beauty and the Beast. They are not trying to make anything with a political statement in nineteen ninety two. Is Popeye a Coke movie? I gag, 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 gag. Because <sighs> I feel like that's well. The question is, who's doing the Coke? Is it Dalton? <laughs> It's almost like they... Is it, all? Is it everybody? The, it's a Coke production. The inception of it is definitely Coke, but the execution of it is like a, a ketamine. Yeah. It's downers for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a depressant. Yeah, because like you aren't like like re- just like fucking tweaking out and you're like, and I want browns everywhere. <laughs> Beige, <laughs> as far as the eye can see. That's crazy about the sequel, though. I'm glad it I, didn't dude, happen. No, but Mark Frost, I would trust to make that sequel. No! What? Dude... Mark Frost not his bag. Mark Frost is a genius. I'll let Mark Frost do anything. But for this classic fast-paced thing is Twin Peaks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, everybody always says this about Twin People are like Twin Peaks, man. Yeah, you could just it was originally going to be 400 episodes and they shrunk yeah. it down to And uh, it was going to star Robin Williams. Um I'm still on the Wikipedia. I'm looking at so okay, so Williams was definitely addicted to cocaine in the early 80s. So it's highly plausible that Popeye is a coke movie. But here's the kicker, all right? This is actually really sad. So Robin Williams was very good friend or it says casual friends with John Belushi, mm. who died of an overdose in 1982. Sure did. Mm. And apparently I mean, it's just casual friends, but apparently they were close enough that 
it like really hit. Well, it's, you know, if your acquaintance died of a drug that you did with him. Yeah. Because even if you're, if you're just an acquaintance with John Belushi, you've done cocaine with John Belushi. That man was a monster. Yeah. Back in the eighties, it was insane. So yeah, if that, if it, and also back then, like he was one of the first notable people to die of cocaine. So it's like, Oh, this has an end. Yeah. These violent delights have violent ends. Exactly. So essentially it just like, it snapped him out of it. And he like, according to this, never did it again. No, I could see it. He's, he, he, he's really, I don't know. He, he has a special ability and it makes sense to be someone who would be into cocaine because that would make this ability easier to do. Yeah. Also stand up comedy. Yeah. So the fucking, no, of course, yeah. just anything <laughs> energy based. It would make it, it would make it more doable. It would make it so he could sustain it for longer, etc. Um, but he is just freakishly talented at doing what he does in this movie, regardless of any substance. I don't want to attribute anything to like how good he is in this movie. Yeah. It's so natural the, talent. Yeah. He he's so like, good. He's so good. But here's the thing is like, I don't know. And this is going to sound like I'm saying like anything negative and I'm not trying to make this come across this way, but I still feel like he isn't really acting yet. If you know what I mean? Like he's still doing, like he's playing Robin Williams right. at this stage of his career. I think that, our next movie that we're going to talk about, Dead Poet Society, I think that that's whenever he actually makes a turn. It's like, oh, no, he's an actor now. He did get an Oscar nomination for this movie, though. He got Oscar nominated. No, Hunter, so you're he, you're totally right. But, like, yeah. he's playing himself. He is. Like, it's most like of if, the time, he's not he's not doing anything that's out of his comfort zone. Yeah, like, this. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you watch his stand-up specials, he's just doing that. He's not playing a yeah. character. And, um, and that's... The thing is, like, that's amazing. Nobody else can play this character, so it's still entertaining as fuck. Like, I still, like, can't get enough it also of will, watching it, this, but it's not acting in the same it is, way. It is, it's just not, like, as forthright as it became. Right, but, he's, but, like, oh, he's, he's not putting on the mask of Yeah, because he does, he, like, there are moments where you're like, whoa, that's that's like a little snippet of like an actor right yes. there. Like yes. he, there's little, yeah. there's like, little bits. Yeah. It's enough get. to show you that like he will go on to do shit mm-hmm. because like, like one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is a very small acting moment where um, it's when it's toward the beginning when Robin is meeting everyone in the radio studio and he's in, and he meets the two twin guys who are weird and they both say like, hi at the exact same time or whatever. And Robin doesn't say a word. He just, he just has a reaction where he just he makes a face and he looks over and then he just keeps walking. And that reaction to me, like that's not what Robin would naturally do. He would naturally have a line for that. Yeah. But he does acting right there where he's just like, OK, that was something I'm just going to wait and I'm going to I'm going to have to say something about that later. Obviously, this is something that I could do material on, but I'm not going to right now. Mm-hmm. Like it, he's saying a lot with just a face in that shot. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's acting. That's what acting is. It's saying things to the audience with a face. Well, I, th- I think the MVP, too, has to just be Barry Levinson, because I it, it, it honestly based on your takes right now, it just seems like he was the one who had to keep the parameters on this thing. Yeah. He couldn't yeah. let Robin just go fully no. off the rails. You're right. There's an amount of improvising yes. everything. Yeah, he still made it a movie. There's there's yeah. an amount of control here uh, that the camera has. And then also the ensemble cast is 
fucking killer, man. Yeah, All no, right, we so got We got to talk about. I want to say like the reason why this movie works and what you're talking about about the peppering of Robin Williams becoming an actor. I think that you can see that in every scene with Forrest Whitaker, mm-hmm. who is. I mean, Forrest Whitaker. He was a bit part in Fast Times, and then he was in uh, Platoon a year prior. But this is like the first like real real meaty part for Forrest Whitaker I, I have never into. liked and him more he's, he's so good and he's so sweet him and, and cute and, him and Robin and Williams are just so good to get them, him trying to keep up with Robin on the bike yeah. he just has a bike without just, any tires yeah, they just, just have really an, an awesome dynamic you you said beforehand, uh, Ernie, that like he looks so old, and yeah, yet, he, but he's yet like a private, yeah, but yeah, yet like, like once 20. he's like once he's talking and acting, you totally buy that he's like a kid, you know, like he because he's so he is really really great in this movie, and he is the uh, in a way he is the audience surrogate. Not that we're so separated from Robin's character, but he is the one meeting Robin and being like, holy shit, like you're really funny, yeah. which is what we're saying when we're watching it. If we're in 1987 and we don't know him that well. Yeah. Um, I, I really thought he was going to die in that car bomb or the mine, dude, whatever. It, it yeah. Makes we're going to get to that because <laughs> that, that sequence is really baffling that no one died. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, like, oh, here I we go. Mm-hmm, but, yeah. um, but yeah, he, he's just fucking lovely in this movie. Like he, he's a delight. Um, I'd say like all of the main guys whose role you would say is to react to Robin in a positive way, all rock. All the guys who like Robin at the radio station, I love. Like they're all good down the line. What about the guy who doesn't like Robin? Can so, we talk about which, Lieutenant Stephen Hawk? Oh, dude, I want to. So <laughs> this guy, Bruno Kirby, Bruno Kirby, he so, rocks. Who I did not realize until I looked it up is Carrie Fisher's partner in yeah he looks in, so different <laughs> and when Harry met Sally I like did not click for me at all it's a classic thing of like you put you grow a mustache and then like I don't Dude, recognize you anymore no well also yeah he also, this is two years earlier like it's not like this he's, is 10 he's years definitely apart. has a lot less weight on him in this movie and his hair is doing a lot of work in when Harry met Sally he it's it's a hard role to do what he does in this movie because he is not just like the thankless like soulless uh you know like suit who just like lives for bureaucracy and like doesn't like anything fun this guy he thinks he is he has robin a, Williams. He, he has a dream and this is a very common type of guy a guy who like thinks that he knows funny and and like he is funny um there are, there are so many moments where you think like this guy is he's gonna he's gonna turn a corner and like lose his mind and like free have like a freak out or something yeah like a, but he ne- it never happens no, he's always is, like, like he's like i know i'm right he's just like <laughs> he literally says it like twice he's just like i just want you to know that i know that i'm yeah, funny and yeah. i'm funny when when he when he meets robin's it's, character he says like he says that up front he's like i'll have you know you know reader's digest is considering publishing two of my jokes <laughs> and and um yeah and like you know i'm very funny we should His, meet up and talk about how funny we are so and he he really sustains that like because he also is a wonk like he is a bootlicker um who hates robin yeah because he doesn't understand that humor because it's lewd and he doesn't like that he also hates the beach boys <laughs> he thinks the beach boys are like the most uh radical yeah. music you could possibly Man, life in the 60s <laughs> nah, he's all about polka um, <laughs> he's just a he's polka obsessed fan. with polka I, so 
This is honestly, it would vibe with me for best, best scene in the movie is the scene where he takes over from Robin Williams. Yeah, on the set. It's like, it's a genius piece of anti-humor. Like, cause it's actually like really, really funny, but like, and that's, that's a hard, hard line to hit in a movie, especially in an older movie. Cause just humor just ages so strangely. Oh, and yeah. A lot of times it just doesn't work that anti-humor in 1987 that just naturally probably isn't going to land well but the fact that he's just out there he's just like oh i'm gonna do a wee frenchman honk, honk. It's, like, it's, it's incredible yeah. it's so good he he's like wildly good at, at that at being like a square who sucks and, and, and it's so there's not a wink in his eye yeah it's so exactly. earnest he plays a dead straight and i'll also I, th- I probably agree that that's the best scene because you also get the lead up to that, which is every character in the movie telling him that he's not funny like to, <laughs> to like, his face. Like 30 seconds before but he goes everyone, on air. Like literally, literally yeah. right before they go on air, they're like, it's not too late to back out of yeah, this. Yeah, they're like, sir, no, like we we promise. Ask anyone. You're not funny. Like, And he's like, no, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty funny. So, and, then, and then it's over. And then he's like, I think you owe me an apology. <laughs> <laughs> like that... That a lot of the humor in this movie really plays, and I like a lot of that does deserve to go to the script. Um, yeah, for, honestly, yeah. for all its lack of plot, like the lines that these other ancillary characters have, like the, to set up that scene, that's all that's not, not improvised. improvised. Yes, yeah, no way, good no way. writing. There's some really good writing in those moments that involve awkwardness with that guy from the beginning. Like, my favorite line in the whole movie actually is uh, that guy's like second in command, that guy's sidekick who is like really funny looking and just funny in general. And he's more on the side of Robin Williams. Um, he's like, okay, well, if that, if that joke isn't funny, then like, why were you laughing earlier when, when I, when I transcribed it to you? And he's like, I, w- I was thinking of something else. <laughs> so, so, so I was just, that is like a timelessly funny, it you is. know, it's just like silly. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. And Mitch Markowitz, his other credits aside from good morning, Vietnam is easily the most, uh, like most notable thing that he's done in his career, but also he wrote a movie called Crazy People, which is a black comedy, and then he wrote for things like Mash or Van Dyke. Oh, like he, so wrote, he for, wrote for Mash. He's he's a comedy there guy. There you go. Like, and that makes sense why the comedy in this movie is good. But I think the I wish this movie. I almost wish that it had no dramatic elements at all. I wish that it would have just gone full comedy because the comedy in this movie is really good. But it's whenever we have to like buckle down and be a drama and have something to say about America and about the Vietnam War. That's whenever like my brain turned off while I was yeah. watching this movie. But I, I never felt like it derailed anything. It was sprinkled throughout. It was so like classically done. Like I, I just never felt like the movie just took itself out of what it was trying to do. Yeah. That's the thing is it because I really, considering the alternatives of where this plot could have gone because the meat of any plot that is in this movie is that Robin Williams immediately sees a woman and wants to fuck her. That's, that's, <laughs> that's like not, a, not great. Yeah. Not so like, great. And that's established in like the first 10 minutes. Like that's what our plot is. Yeah. Right. That's everything that happens plot wise is, is either the radio show or is that. Yeah. Then he and, infiltrates her English class. Yeah, exactly. So he follows her um, and yeah, ends up teaching her English class. We get a lot of really funny scenes where it's just, you can tell it's genuinely Robin just like, like riffing with a bunch of uh, like via Vietnamese people who have limited English like that is actually what's happening in those scenes 
Um, and he's getting them like he's yeah. getting their asses like they are they're doing and, and the actors themselves are being very funny too yeah they're it's the, not I mean because the thing is like these aren't actual native Vietnamese no. these are still actors right. at the end of the day yeah and, they and they're all they're it. very funny people like there there's so many good laughs in those scenes so that all works even though the the setup for them is really icky and weird and then instead of just like uh, the payoff of all that being like he marries her it's way it's more about her brother yeah, yeah. which i like i did like that a lot yeah yes. i like that it becomes about him I, i'm like everything that happens isn't necessarily like like the the best way to unfold it but i didn't want it to become like she's just fully in love with him and that's it which is what most movies definitely would do straight up yeah no for sure that would suck because you the the thing is is that like just because that's a subplot it doesn't mean that it has to devote like 50 percent of the movie to it you know like this movie understands that like you you can do like a 70 30 split on your a and b plots it it doesn't have to be 50 50 and you can devote just 30 percent of your runtime to this other subplot and still get enough out of it so i think that that's kind of where like my the reason why a lot of this doesn't work for me and like the final act is because like we talked about earlier like it's just not really set up well enough for me to care and the thing is, whenever it is set up, it's what we're kind of talking about right now. Like, it is kind of icky feeling. It's pretty goddamn offensive. And, like, I know it's hard. To, like, a lot of movies around this time period are not aged well, yada, yada, yada. We can say all that. But, like, I don't know, man. It's, like, pretty rough. Like, whenever you're kind of looking anything past the surface level of, like, turn your brain off. This is a fun comedy. If you try and interrogate this movie at all, like, it's... It's pretty gross, and granted, the American military during the Vietnam yeah. War is pretty gross. Yeah. There isn't a good way. You like if you're skidding around it completely, then you're being dishonest to what was happening in history. But I, I think but, this movie does show how it was gross. Like it doesn't shy away from the grossness that much. I don't. I don't. I don't know. There's it, enough it enough beats in there to show the doesn't grossness. really just show, like he drives past two different Asian women with hats on. And it's just like, oh, look at us. She's running so fast. She's no, I'm just like, oh, boy, that's not great. Yeah, Those are no, two completely different. Women. To start yeah, the, that's fair. That's I mean, not, yeah, to, that's to, to start the movie like that is really brutal. Um, but this is like I said, it's really it's really, really hard to place yourself in the in the heat of like Reagan's America and like like try to watch a movie as you know, through the, that lens. Yeah. But America hurling towards two Gulf Wars. But like, holy shit, I can't imagine <laughs> the, the hurdles that they must have faced with even this final product. They probably had to fight just to put this out, man. Like. Shit was bad back then, like bad, bad, bad yeah. in terms of like content being that was like the height of censorship of like non-Christian white content. And this movie is racist uh, and and sexist and weird. Yeah. Um, but it's also, and it does better than I'd say most movies from back then. It, it, the, the thing to me is like, I know that those things don't age well, but that's not what the movie's about. Like it. I that would be more egregious to me if like the bulk of the movie was devoted to that. But it's not. The bulk of the movie is devoted to him being an entertaining presence over yes. the radio. Yeah. And I just, I'm not saying that that's that that single thing is something that sinks the movie. I just think, you know, it's worth a note. 
it's it's, it's it definitely yeah, it's it's it worth is. a thing that there was something that uh that uh that that didn't didn't land for the, me. This movie is special to me because it's a perfect role for Robin Williams. It's yeah. literally like nobody it else is could a do Robin it. Williams vehicle. And they just let him go off. They let him loose and he works his magic completely. And I think it's like such a perfect encapsulation of his power and energy at that time that would catapult him to what we're about to see later down his career. Because it's like, wow, like fourth highest grossing movie of the year, guys. Like, holy shit. Like this struck a chord with people and it was just because of him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've talked about, you know, Barry Levinson and the extended cast and all these other things that make the movie work as well. But it's it's the Robin Williams show, you know, and yeah, uh, any yeah. like a movie to do that well, that has so many so much of this movie takes place inside a radio studio yeah. with just him in it and then maybe two or three people in the background reacting. Yeah. And that's like the meatiest parts of the movie, the most important parts of the movie. That's what you're looking at. That's crazy. It's just like Rain Man. Same like mm-hmm. same deal with Levinson. And Rain Man was even more successful yeah. in its year. It was like the number one or two most successful movie that year. I think and, it, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's fucking remarkable, man, because that movie is the same deal where the most significant moments of that movie, you're literally just watching two guys in a car uh, bickering. And fr- frankly, for like more than half of that movie, that's what you're watching. And that movie in my opinion, has more fat to trim, even if it may be better overall. I think that movie has a lot of redundancies. I do. I do wholly disagree with that. I think Rain Man is fucking excellent. Also, Rain Man was also also the fourth highest grossing movie that year. Two years in a row. No, Rain Man Man was number one. Are you sorting by by calendar or in year? Uh, Oh, I'm sorting by in year. Yeah, Rayman. No. Rayman was number one. I, like, then who framed Roger? I agree. That, that, okay, I agree yeah, that yeah, Rayman's yeah. definitely better, but it definitely has uh, too many scenes. Like it is too long. It's a long fucking movie. I would just make the argument that this movie also has too many. The thing is, like, I don't know. I think that I almost would just like act. I would just made this movie an hour forty and just cut most of the whole subplot between. The like, uh, I can't even remember her name. The Vietnamese woman and the brother and everything else like that. I would just make it more so. I would make it more focused on like the American military people who are just like wholly against uh, Robin Williams because he's uncensoring the news. Like that's kind of where I would have focused this movie. You give more time to Bruno Kirby. I would have. I would give more time to Bruno Kirby. Probably could have axed the other dude. They're kind of Very redundant. Re- that's a redundant character. And the other guy is just like less likable than Bruno well, Kirby. So need, it's like, why are you there? You but different ranks. Tears of douchebaggery. <laughs> um, no, but I would have just made this a movie about censorship. That's how I would have fixed it is I wouldn't have even like maybe have him do some because um, I mean, those scenes of him in the school are great. I would have kept some of that. I probably would just nix the whole love line and then maybe have him develop a relationship with somebody else. Like, I don't know. You could do something like that. I just would have rather this movie been a tighter, a little bit tighter. I, but I I would have just completely. I agree with axing the love uh, subplot. I think you could definitely lose that. I would not lose the brother though, because the scene the brother has at the end is amazing. Like that. That's a beautiful. Well, that's piece the scene I'm talking about when I talk about like pushing this through American airwaves. Yeah, 
that saying crying his eyes out like we had progressed from vietnam where like you know the public at large may have low-key been against what happened in vietnam but not publicly like that was a a, a huge uh, faction of the population didn't want to be associated with the the anti-war types like the the hippie dippies for all the many like problems this movie has in that regard a, a south vietnamese character talking about how american presence in vietnam had ruined his life yeah is wildly progressive and the performance is great the actor does a great job i just wish that that character was more set up in the first half of that's i think it just feels almost out of place whenever he gives that monologue but it's a good monologue don't get me wrong it's a really good monologue but it almost does feel out of place and i'm not sure how you fix that you set up the character a little bit more in the first half of the movie (laughs) i don't want this movie to be longer and i don't want to sacrifice the parts of this movie that i enjoy more though so it's yeah that well that's that's the central problem yeah that's why i didn't think you could cut any of the subplot because you needed to get there I'm telling you, you lose one of the montages of people loving hearing Robin Williams <laughs> on know, the man. radio. That's the best part of the movie is just Robin Williams doing Robin Williams shit. No, I'm, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like a song is playing. Exactly. And everyone's like, like just listening to the radio. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I like this. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of that. There's, there's like three of them. There, there are a lot of weird montages in the movie. Like, I think, oh, we're doing this again? You're definitely right about that. You need that. to fit another be- uh, Beach hey, Boys song. That's another Barry staple right there. So we got to have just some montages of people just being like, yeah, we're just having a good time right I, now. I did want to mention the soundtrack. So the soundtrack to this movie actually went platinum. <laughs> Hell yeah. It went platinum. I mean, shit, we got Beach Boys, we have Armstrong, we yep. got... Um, the Searchers, the Castaways, James Brown. Yeah, James... Them, yeah. Uh, the Marvelettes, the Vogues. It's a, I mean, it's a pretty banging soundtrack. It's like a soundtrack that's just old enough for people to get nostalgic for, too, which is good. What a Wonderful World uh, charted in the top 40 because of this movie again i think how many movies have made what a wonderful world because hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy also made that movie chart in like the top 10 that was in like 2006 so also the the soundtrack put robin williams introductions to the song in the soundtrack that's so they kept they that's really cool yeah so it's like you're listening to a broadcast that man made money yeah (laughs) he got fucking credits on all that shit while it sold my i don't know man. robin williams was infamous for like not uh banking off of his movies like we'll get to aladdin Mm. that is a whole aladdin he gets fucked like there's a difference aladdin like he actually does get fucked by disney there because he just didn't i he the problem is uh robin should have gotten a better lawyer in the 80s we'll get to it in this time period it's we'll not even robin's it. fault it's that he should have gotten a better lawyer um all right we got to get to the categories the i guess the only other thing i wanted to to mention here is um no i think i mentioned everything oh i was gonna tell a little quick story just uh about how i watched this movie so I've had a uh, contractor working on my house this week, so uh, my dog has a hard time dealing with the guy, and I have to have my dog out in the the back uh, yard, or not the backyard, but the back porch, Mm -hmm. uh, so he's out of the way of the contractor, and I have to be right next to the dog so he doesn't freak out, so I can't be in the house. I have to be on the back porch with the dog, so 
I had to watch this movie back there. Luckily, I have a, a TV set up, but also my computer screen is very good. So kind of zeroed in on this movie. But back there, there's no air conditioning. So You felt like you were in Vietnam. Yep. So like I was in- sitting there watching this movie, sweating balls, feeling the heat. Vietnam. That's that's how I watched uh, There Will Be Blood. (laughs) Yeah, the AC broken. To be honestly, Ernest, kind of similar situation before you guys came and rescued me because my car is broken down. My AC has been out in my house for over a month. We live in Florida. That's not a fun time to have. Same, man. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's rough. All right, let's get to the categories. Um, First category is Best Robinism. So this could be a quote, doesn't have to be, but what is the best Robinism in the movie? The moment that you think fully captures what you think only Robin Williams could bring to this movie. So for me, I was thinking about this before, and for me, this one's pretty easy. I think it's the very first time that he gets on the mic, because I think of the movie, whenever it's starting out. You know, it's kind of just like, oh, you know, he makes some jokes. He's just like, oh, oh, Sergeant uh, Private Garlic, you got to commission a new name. He's got like some jokes and stuff like that. But we didn't mention like, his name is Garlic. Yeah. Also, <laughs> great name. With a K. Fucking great name. Yeah. Um, it was like a little bit of jokes, but otherwise, you know, the movie's just kind of coasting. And it's the first time that he gives that good morning, Vietnam. Perfect. And then he just like goes at a mile a minute. It's like. Oh, this, like, it's like this movie just took a shot of espresso. Like, we are now, like, going. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't happen for, like, almost 20 minutes into the movie. It's kind of like, and also, I love the lead up to that scene. Like, (laughs) they wake Robin Williams up at, like, 5.30 in the morning. He's fucking dead. Like, he looks, I hadn't seen this movie since I was a kid, so I couldn't really remember what happened. I was like, is he, like lethargic and then does he like work his way up to the good morning Vietnam and then no he's just like right out just shot out of the cannon mm-hmm. for you me have one? it's him riffing to the soldiers okay yeah that's my best moment yeah, yeah. that's 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 the most irreplaceable like that will that in him riffing with uh, the class the English class I don't know who you could put there, man. It that scene. So yeah, that's the next category. That scene is is my best moment because you go through every emotion in that scene. Like you laugh and you cry. Like that made me laugh harder than any other point in the movie, and it made me cry. The only point made me tear up in the whole movie is how that scene ends. How he just kind of like drops the funny business for a beat and just says like. Be careful out there. Yeah, be careful. It, yeah, Come back. It, it almost like, it almost reads as though they're real soldiers. Like, yeah, it, you know, it, it almost reads as though he's out there in a in like the fucking the Gulf War or something. Uh, my Robinism though is <laughs> when he's sitting in that uh, diner restaurant with the shrimp mm. on his fingers <laughs> and he's making him sing. <laughs> Just. Doing a bit with some sharp on your fingers. Yeah, he puts the prawns on his fingers and it's like only he would do that. Like, I'm sure he improvised that. Just put the shrimp heads on his fingers and making him dance. <laughs> like, I just got so much out of that. That's yeah, that's that's a really good one. I love that scene. I we didn't talk about the the bar fight sequence in Ian Sights a riot inside the bar. Yeah, Popeye vibes. Wait, no, so <laughs> 
<laughs> I want to talk about what's what is his name? I can't remember where he goes by. He calls everyone Earl, the owner of this bar. I don't know. Um, I love that guy. That guy's great. I love his energy um, that he has, that he just owns a bar, that he's like, I'm going to convert this into the U.S. military bar that everybody comes into. Oh, I just remembered something. So remember we were talking about how like there's like a beat there's like beat sheet of moments that needed to happen um from the original treatment yeah so apparently the moment where there's that explosion where the restaurant gets bombed apparently that actually happened to the real guy yeah and then he went on the radio to talk about it and they didn't let him and they're like, you can't talk about that. Yeah, that was like one of the few scenes that actually did. Like a lot of this movie is like highly, highly fabricated, but that is actually yeah. something that happened to him. Um, I was trying to look it up, but I couldn't Google fast enough. Do you remember who is the celebrity that the owner of this bar just wants a picture of their a picture of them naked? I'm oh sure. man, uh, who is it? It's not Bob Hope. Bob Hope comes no, up later no. on, but it's, it's like a, it's sort of an A. One of I, the names does. I can't remember. It's like really funny. And then he goes up to Robin Williams and he's just like, I'll give you free beer. You can own the rest of this bar if you get a picture of that man's ankles. <laughs> like, he just wants to get a picture of dude's feet. It only like, it only happens like two or three scenes, but it's always a thing where it just made me laugh really hard of this guy. is just like, just a gay bar owner with a foot fetish. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you can definitely point toward it as being, has not having aged well, but it also would be funny if it were like an American. No, per, that's like, no, that's just like a genuinely like a funny thing. It's just, yeah, like, it's a just like a wild character thing to throw yeah. in there. Did you say your, your moment? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My moment's that first, that first scene, the first scene of him on the air. Well, we were doing Robinism and moment. Oh, my moment. Oh, it uh, could be the same one if you want. No, my favorite moment is (sighs) favorite Rob moment. It's got to be that scene with all of them before they're about to go off into war. Are you picking that one too, Drew? That's, I mean, that to me, that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah, it's that scene or it's it's my guy trying to rock it without Robin on the air. That's my favorite just movie that scene. That is a great. But it's not yeah. Robin. It's the lack of Robinism in that scene, which it's is like, why yeah, it's, it's like great. It's like how jazz is about the notes you don't play. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's about, about the Robin that you don't see in the scene. Yeah. Bruno Kirby, man, slays. Dude, so good, man. You guys seen City Slickers? I've never I seen have, that. I've never saw City Slickers. Um Oh or, my god, uh, his real name is Bruno Giovanni Quid- Gabagool Kirby Quidagulu Jr. Wow. Oh, he's dead. He died in 06. Yeah, uh, Italian discrimination forced this man to change his name. Yeah. We, yeah, I've never we seen Slippers either. Is the other big. We will res again. He voiced Reginald Stout in Gabagool Little. Wow. Over here. <laughs> Drew, do you want to pick a different moment or are you picking the same one? For ah, both? Ah, who cares? <laughs> good Robin or bad Robin? This is about as good as it gets. Yeah, it's great Robin. Great. I The thing is that if Robin doesn't have it, then this movie is god awful. It rests on his shoulders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the movie The movie is 100% about Robin. Robin's out of 10? 10. I'll say 10. 
I don't know if I'll go nine. I so I'm gonna go lower because there's I mean he does go full ro- Robin for a lot of this movie, but also I don't know. I when is he gonna go? When is he gonna go more more Robin? Aladdin. Yes, I don't. Aladdin even, is a ten. Is that more Robin than this? Yeah. Yes, I don't. Think Aladdin. So, man. He is on it in literally every scene. I know, but he does that in this, and also you see him. There's, in, there's like, just, that's a good point. His face. Yeah. You guys just have seen Aladdin way more than you've seen. <laughs> no, this. no, no. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, like, there's, there's a lot of downbeats in this movie. If you replaced him in Aladdin. It, Aladdin wouldn't suck. Uh, no, well, I'm not. I'm not talking about like we'll talk about like whenever we get to recasting because that's a much tougher thing to do. But like, as far as like Robin being balls to the wall, Robin, there it, are some downbeats. I'd yeah. give this. I'd give this an uh, an eight point nine two. I'll give it a ten. It's not about the amount of time in the movie. He's full. It Robin. is. That's that's what we gauge cages on. No, it's not. Yeah, that's it not doesn't what I, matter. That's not what I did. This, this, is, a made up, this is a made up. Yeah, that's that's not what I did. It's like this is forty seven out of fifty two. So he reaches ten out of ten. Robin for probably like twenty or thirty minutes yeah. of this movie, which is probably a little more than he does in Aladdin. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. Hmm. And it's and it's a physical camera on his actual face for. Yeah extended him and if time. and if he doesn't do that then the movie is bad fine i'll give it a 9.107 re-caging couch hold on give it a 9.109 i give it a 9.109 if you adjust your rankings from popeye from <sighs> a 8.274 to an 8.285 re-caging okay. Couch. Okay. Okay. okay 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 where would you put nicholas cage in this movie <laughs> Um, I would put him as Bruno Kirby's role. Yep. I just want to see yes. him on the air. Yes, I want to. I, I was thinking about him just being like, "Oh, wow, wow, wow!" <laughs> private. Oh. I honk honk. That's the that's the pick. Yep, I you, think Lieutenant Hawk. I would make him the love interest. <laughs> True. What, dude? I was thinking about the recaging couch. And I was like, man, I would just love, and I would also love for Barry to just be like. Nick, you don't have a script here. Just just vamp and just see what he would think of because it would not be funny. The thing is, like, it would be like genuine anti comedy and that like it there would be no jokes. He would do like vampire's kiss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't know what to do. Um, yeah, that that works. That or works. you could keep him as like the the third guy on the extended cast on the ensemble. I would make it. Yeah, he would the be the guy with the spiky hair. No, he'd be good at being like, yeah, the, the, the lackey, second in charge, the lackey dude to the, Kirby, the guy who also hosts a radio show, but he's not like the the dry guy. He's the funnier yeah. guy, but just not Robin. Yeah. You remember, you know, yeah, the curly yeah. hair guy. He'd be he'd be good in that role as a guy who like like loves yeah. Robin, but isn't, you know, isn't a bad guy. Or here's here's the galaxy brain take in the Louis Armstrong scene. <laughs> In the What a Wonderful World. He's he Louis sings, Armstrong. He sings What a Wonderful World. <laughs> no, that's not what I was going to say. I see skies. <laughs> no. So as as there's like bombings happening and like people are getting shot, he's in full uh, vampire's kiss mode, just walking around. Like, yeah, kill with, me with fake with the fake teeth. I'm like, oh. kill me. No, it's actually just cuts to him in wind talkers. We're gonna oh, do different yeah. wars, but that's fine. Um, really, the tough thing is when we talk to like who could be 
Who could be Robin Williams? I was saying Nobody. it. Literally, the thing is, I was saying can't do it's it. literally it's you have to just put a comedian hope that they can act. So an actor can't do this. An actor would not be able to work at the speed and the hit rate. So if we're doing a comedian who is good at crowd work, notably, who like and also more notably than that, Jerry Seinfeld. No, no, no. He's so bad at crowd work. What are you talking about? <laughs> Jerry, Wait, Seinfeld. Just Jerry Seinfeld without written jokes is nothing. Oh, what's the deal? You come over here on your BMW? Oh! We got North Korea. We got South Korea. We got North Vietnam. What's we got difference? South Vietnam. You ever walk outside and you're like, that's North, that's South. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> Here's your bitch. Um, Kramer. No. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> We can't oh, oh, say we can't say what they say in this movie. No, okay, <laughs> manic comedian, good at crowd work. Also, time period appropriate. Michael Keaton, he was all of those. Keaton did stand up. Yes, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was no, um, very famously like a manic stand up. Just he was he wasn't as good as Robin. Honestly, I yeah. could see it. I could see it. That's the natural comparison. Yeah, because the problem is like. There is no modern comedian who has this sensibility. Well, like, I just searched. You just like I. I wonder if John Mulaney could do this role. No, fuck off. No, he couldn't. Like, what are you talking about? Like, no modern day comedian could do Bill this. Burr. Yeah, Bill. Oh, Burr. Bill Burr would kill. Fuck. Fuck. It's a very different movie, but yes. Well, because in <sighs> shit, Bill Burr is really good. He would. I. Kill, I not even dude. think about that. He's he's one of the only fast talkers we got left. It'd be it'd be a little weird to still have be it be a, set in like sixties Vietnam. Well, it'd be with a little Bill bit. Burr. It would be a little bit angrier because Bill Burr is a, a lot. He's a Boston boy. He's yeah, got he, he's got a lot more anger you, than Robin Williams did. You'd but, have to do Good Morning Afghanistan. Yeah, it would go like more satirical. <laughs> oh, Good man. morning, shitheads. <laughs> Well, I just searched late 80s comedians. Mm -hmm. So Richard Pryor? Did you get Could Pryor do this? Did you get Bob Pryor Goldthwait on your list? No. That would be a really funny so one. He the, just yelled everything. The literally the first thing that comes up on Google, number one, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh then George Carlin. Which this movie with George Carlin Whoa, would be like, that's no. that's wild. I don't know. Uh Rodney Dangerfield. That that was one that I kept thinking of while watching it just because it was such a natural comparison where like, you know, he because he's someone that would entertain troops and he could do all the different characters and the voices and everything like that. He he couldn't. But he, he, he would, here's the thing he would try. No, you're, yeah. you're thinking of uh, Jeff Dunham. <laughs> yeah, but, Could Jeff Dunham do this? No, the thing I think Richard Pryor, I. I don't know what Richard Pryor would be like in the more dramatic scenes of this yeah. movie, but Richard Pryor was, I mean, you're talking about of the time period comedians yeah. like Eddie Murphy's on this list. Um, Dane yeah. Cook. <laughs> all right. That's Louis all the time have. Um, <laughs> Wait. Do you think Kevin Spacey could make a comedic turn? And yes, the other person on this list is Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> James Corden. <laughs> oh, dude, I I could actually see them trying to do something. They would they would try to pull that him, shit. Him oh, doing no. carpool karaoke in a you, Humvee. We, oh, oh, Ernest. Oh, 
Ernest, oh. you need to edit this out. They're, I think that I think that they're listening right now. They're going to make this. They're greenlighting Do, this right yeah, now. An, an IED goes off while he's Here's doing carpool karaoke. Here's the thing about James Corden is that he actually is incapable of saying no to anything that his agent yeah, he gives him. He it. just keeps saying yes. But I'm spiraling. He'll only right make it if this is also a a musical so that he can add this to his infinity gauntlet of shitty musicals that you he's probably, a part of. You probably have to go back farther to find someone who, who could actually do it because it would be Bob Hope who is the most famous for visiting troops and doing crowd work and making them I mean laugh. there's literally a Bob Hope joke in this movie. Yeah, exactly. He's just like ah he only comes for wars and there's no war yeah. here. Um, Billy Crystal? Yeah I thought of Crystal actually I did think Crystal him, would be I, because back then he was on fire he was like he like he couldn't be stopped. Um, he was another fast talker charmer type, which makes sense. He just I don't know if he wins over a room of soldiers. Did they did Billy and Robin do a movie together? Did they? I don't think so. I don't think so. Why it's are kind you of asking? a bummer. I feel like they would be great in a movie. Oh, together. I feel like the thing is, that I could see it going like incredible, perfect, but also I could see it just not working at all because it's like they having, did. They did. It's called Father's Day, nineteen ninety-seven. Sounds great. Uh, the poster is just their faces looking wacky. So the thing is that, like, I could also see that not being good because I could see them trying to out funny each other. That's what it looks like in that poster. And, and that's exactly what it looks like. Um, no, because the thing is that they probably just have Billy Crystal be the straight guy because Billy Crystal is also really good at being the straight man. But also he was the best at being the funny yeah, guy. So he also so got like mad lazy. Fucking range. He also got mad lazy in the 90s. Yeah, late like, 90s. We're in 97 at that point. He's just like, I'm just can we watch this movie? It was directed by Ivan Reitman. Wow. Whoa. Um, also, Julie Louis Dreyfus is in it. Uh, it features an appearance by Sugar Ray. Okay. And it was a major critical and commercial failure. You had me at Sugar Ray. <laughs> Come in. I'm in. There we go. It's, it's 97. 97. 85 million dollar budget. <laughs> what? Oh what, my. What so, box? Wait. 35. <laughs> wait. So hold on. Hold on. I'm going to do some math real quick. So this movie had a 13 million dollar budget. So this movie, Father's Day, had six and a half times the budget of, of Good Morning Vietnam and Vietnam. made a lot less. And made what was it? One hundred eighty-five is what Vietnam is. What this most made most of that most of that budget is for Sugar Ray. And it, it made just over a fifth. Of if, and if we're in ninety-seven, then it's just the song "Fly." I'm adding this to the to the docket. You know what? Here's the thing: is I'd rather talk about this than watch right whatever now. the fuck else. Like, you think I give a fuck? I'd so much rather talk about this than fucking Venom. Let there be carnage. So please let these let these come. Well, it's '97, so we're still a ways from it. I just want to fly. Um, you sound like uh, you sound like a dude, the dude from uh, Survivor, um, the little country bumpkin. Oh man, I don't know, man. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, my name's Jeremiah. You yeah. guys probably don't know this, but I'm an underwear model. I'm I'm a model. I just found out I'm gonna get eliminated. That's all right. <laughs> You guys want to do a quick Survivor segment? I was no. trying to Survivor no, recap no. to this. We I'm good with a quick Survivor recap. Tiffany makes is, me want to kill myself. This is not for anyone. We can't do it. I'm sorry. We're going to have to do one when the season ends. 
Let's just, I'm saying, we have let, to at I'm some point guys, consider the we, fact that people are listening. We to probably the podcast. need to take this off air, but we should just get on Green Room and just talk Survivor live after every episode. Just yeah, so we can just talk. That's Survivor. what we should do. We, you just, we'll all watch it together. We don't need to put our audience through this. Okay. No, but we should. We, we have the option to put them through this. <laughs> We'd have uh, one listener. Mm-hmm. Who, Shout out to Javi. Yeah, is it is Javi still? Oh on? no, I was gonna say David because he's also watching along to the season. But yeah, no, maybe Javi. Nate's, Nate's not on Survivor Island. Nate's on, but he doesn't listen to the pod. <laughs> Nate <laughs> is not listening to a podcast. Okay, he's Rogan or Death. Um, you know this about Nate. I'm just <laughs> Joe Rogan in this role. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's all like guest based radio show. <laughs> You know, where he's he's just having like yeah. a general on and the general's like, we got to get rid of these like, fuckers. And then, and then he Joe's goes like, huh. He okay. goes around to people like after the bomb explodes and he sees people dead. And he's just like, evidently fear is not a factor for you. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be serious for a second, though, I feel like Robin would have slayed in the podcast era. Like yeah. he passed just before it really. Blew. Like imagine him on Hollywood Handbook. I just, mean, I'm imagine him on his own. No, no, no. Show. I'm just talking. I'm just talking about just him with other comedians, but also who like have that. I ah, man, just it would have been so good. Long form comedy with Robin, like he, um, long form comedy would just be the best. So like only a, a year or two before he died, um, he did a a YouTube series that was like based in stand up. It was called Set List. Um, and it was it was a series in which it was usually just like like younger like alt comics would go on and the whole thing was they didn't have a set list like they would get a topic presented to them while they were on stage like you know one at a time and they would have to like come up with the riff come up with the bit and he did that and it was usually just like it was like Eliza Schlesinger whoever the fuck you know it was, it was like TJ Miller um, and he nice. went and he went on there and he was funny as shit, man. Oh, I'm and, sure. And he's course. so and he was so old and it was just like, oh, yeah, this this guy has like a superhuman ability. Like he he could have done anything, man. I mean, dude, just the fact that he ad libbed every single fucking broadcast scene in this movie. I just kept thinking, like, give me the Robin Williams podcast. Like, yeah, God it makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. He did get a chance to do a. I imagine a, listening to that podcast at two times speed. <laughs> you just you couldn't. You can do it. Can do it. He did get a chance to do a, a what the fuck with Mark Marin. Yeah, early early ups. Episode. Never listened to that episode. Yeah, two thousand ten. Maybe I'll give that a try. Two thousand ten. Yeah. Give that a listen. It's how also, how were you even able to do a podcast in two thousand ten? I don't know. Mark Marin. I, I don't know. Maybe she has this in it. I'll also maybe we should ask the Podfather. I'll also say that this movie is a testament to the fact that there were back back in these years there were way way more prejudices in Hollywood as far as like starring roles goes. Like obviously, women people of color could not get starring roles. It sucked. The one group that could get more starring roles back then that was not just white men was old people, and he isn't old. He's not an old person in this movie. But he's older than 
Yeah. Anyone starring in any movie that's out right now. Old vibes. Yeah, he he's like a middle-aged dude in this movie. He also looked middle-aged when he was in his late 20s. Yeah, so he's, he's in his 30s, it. but he like looks like you know, shit, man. That's why we're going to talk about whenever we get to Jack in like 10 years whenever we get to discussing that movie. But like perfect casting for yeah. that movie because he looks like like both a baby and also like he was came out of the womb 55 yeah. years old. I mean, in, in Popeye, I was like, this is his first movie. <laughs> He looks forty five. Honestly, same thing as Nick Cage. We talked about this in the the first (laughs) Nick Cage movie. We talked about his Moonstruck, and we're like, "Wait, he's twelve years younger than Cher? (laughs) What the fuck? What happened here?" Yeah, it's it's. Are men just hideous? Jesus Christ! Guys, guys just had insane forearm hair back then. Yeah. Like just like the Ron Williams has the most forearm hair I've ever seen on him. It man. is wild. Like ever. he isn't like he isn't like a huge like blowing out of his shirt chest hair guy either. It's just <laughs> Mo- Moonstruck. Robin Williams is a monkey. <laughs> Moonstruck came out the same year as as Good Morning Vietnam. Wow. 87. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. So real quick. The oh, my God. The number one grossing movie of 87. Three men and a baby. That was the number one highest grossing movie of the year. Then Fatal Attraction. Then Beverly Hills Cop 2. Then Good Morning Vietnam. Moonstruck. Untouchables. And I don't know. The Secret of My Success. I don't know what that is. Stakeout. Lethal Weapon is number nine. And then Witches of Eastwick. 87. Interesting year. 87. So obviously you got Moonstruck and Raising Arizona, which we talked about. Good, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Full Metal Jacket is also 87. Mm-hmm. Princess Bride, Dirty Dancing, Predator, RoboCop, Evil Dead 2, I Spaceballs. Oh, that's right. This is the same year as Last Emperor. Because this is it. Best picture. That's, that was the best picture yeah. winner. I was trying to think of like, oh, wait, so late 80s. What was that? That's that's right. Last Emperor, which was like early uh, Weinstein uh, pick for Best picture. Honestly, one of the ones that has actually aged very, very well because The Last Emperor is a perf- perfect movie. Um, but my my last thought about this movie talk is, about a movie that actually uh, shows Asian cultures in a good light, <laughs> good way. My my last thought is that this is a model that proved itself to be true and and successful in that Robin Williams um, insisting upon having fun in a stuffy setting, as we will find out next week. Oh, right. dead poets. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Seriously, a lot of similarities. Oh, Captain, my Captain. He he he's a man who cannot be sequestered by the man. We also get a, a young hawk, a young Ethan Hawk in that film. So, stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us at We Bought It Mike on social media. Email us at We Bought It Mike at Gmail dot com, and uh, you can also send in a voicemail. With any thoughts that you have on any of these movies we're talking about, anchor.fm slash mic to do that and to donate if you want to join all our wonderful donors and uh, get in on our uh, Discord server. Shout out to the Discord listening to right now. Uh, you can do so with a little donation. Thank you for uh, supporting the show, supporting our trip to the Popeye Island in malta thank you for that thank you for taking us to malta yeah yeah now accepting contributions to the fund to send the pod boys to popeye island um or sorry popeye village um and uh yeah you can also visit our website webottomike.net 
um, where you will find my uh, 10,000 word dissertation on Venom, Let There Be Carnage, coming soon, examining the rich text of the the film that has shooketh the nation, the highest grossing movie of the COVID era. Um, Woody Harrelson just delivers a powerhouse Academy Award worthy performance. Um, Just incredible times we live in, boys. (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, and you I'm can also. I'm happy for you. <laughs> I'm just so happy for you that you have this movie. You can also uh, sign up uh, to receive updates in your email every time we publish a episode. You can get it delivered right into your inbox at uh, our website. So thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week for Dead Poet Society. Stay with Bammy. We'll love you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.